Hello everyone and welcome to Black, White and In Color. I am your host, Shanoa Alamu. I love discussing topics that get people talking and sharing stories from everyday people. My opinions have been featured on CNN and Huffington Post. So please join me for this week's episode of Black, White and In Color. Hey, okay, so as usual, you know, I like to just get right to it and dive right in. And I'm very excited about today's episode. Um, I am a firm believer that no matter what we go through in life, um, there's always a way to deal with things, handle things um, in a positive, healthy way. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. And I just have the honor of um, having a special guest on the show today who has taken um, a very unique approach to dealing with her mental health. Um, so today's show is going to be um, centered around uh, mental health, depression in particular. Um, I remember my first depressive episode at age 10. That is my earliest memory of me being able to put to words um, that I was depressed. Um, But growing up, I just remember always feeling sad, um, having a negative uh, perspective on life, a negative outlook on life, um, wanting to just be in my room all the time, you know, just feeling very, just very sad. I call it the black hole experience because that's how it felt. It felt like I was in this black hole and it it just sucked me deeper and deeper um, no matter what I tried to do. And so also growing up in the church, you know, I was constantly told, you know, if you have Jesus in your life, there's no reason to be sad. There's no reason to be depressed. Um, I heard things like, you know, depression is a demon. Um, you just need to pray more. You just need to read your Bible more. Um, you don't have enough faith. Um, you know, you just need to believe God. And, you know, I just heard all of these things and had hands laid on me and, you know, people praying for me. I know people were praying for me. Um, but yet I was not getting better. And so I eventually um, just thought this is just who I am. I eventually took this on as my identity and just thought, hey, I am Shanoa, the negative, down and out, um, sad all the time, um, girl or young lady, um, you know, I just thought this is who I was. This is just my personality. And it really wasn't until I got married. And uh, my husband at the time just flat out asked me, what is wrong with you? Because, <laughs> you know, he was noticing that I was sad and that I was, you know, down in the dumps a lot. And so he just outright asked me, what is wrong? Um, and so that's when I was like, well, um, you know, I can no longer, quote unquote, get away with being this way because now I have somebody else in my life and um, and it was affecting him. 
And so I went to cognitive therapy and took my first um, antidepressant. Um, and you just would have thought that a light bulb just lit up my world. And I remember thinking then, had I known that had feel, I would have done this years ago. And I just be- began to think about all the time that I wasted um, believing lies about my condition, um, believing falsehoods about my condition. And so I no longer believe depression is a demon. I no longer believe that it is because uh, it's a, a character flaw within myself or any human being. You know, I no longer believe it's because a person, you know, if a person is depressed, they they just don't have enough faith or they don't believe in God or they just need to get saved and all these type of things that I heard. I now believe that it is a real um, medical condition that deserves the attention, the time and the healing, um, just like any other condition, whether it's diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, if you broke your foot. Um, if you notice the change in your breathing, I mean, it, to me, it is just as valid and just as important, um, to pay attention to as these other, um, physical ailments. And for some reason, mental issues, period, tend to not get the same care and attention as physical, um, ailments get. And so hopefully today, Uh, with my special guest, that will change for you and perhaps somebody you love, especially if you are um, a Christian. Um, Because again, this is, the church is where I feel still carries a lot of these lies and falsehoods. And so I hope today will educate and bring, shed awareness uh, to this very real um, mental condition. And so I have Jasmine Reese with me today. And in 2013, uh, she took her best puppy friend, Fiji, a bicycle and her violin on a trek across the United States with less than $50 in her pocket. And this was actually my first introduction to her uh, on Facebook. This is exactly what I saw. I see this cute African-American young lady a bicycle, a violin, and a dog. And I knew she was bicycling, like, obviously, but I never knew the depth of her journey until uh, she and I started interacting um, on my page. And so it took her six months um, to, to go on this trek, and she didn't have any camp experience, no prior long-distance cycling experience, You know, as she described, she was just a chubby city girl trying to regain self-confidence and recapture the person she thought she'd lost. But this is what I found to be very interesting, that while she was on the road, she experienced profound acts of kindness, strangers taking her and her dog into their homes, feeding, sheltering, and looking out for them, which led to a renewed faith in humanity. And Lord knows we need it in this day and age. Um, With this new renewed faith in humanity, she pressed on, shaping much more than her body, but her mind. And she and this adorable Fiji have now traveled over 16,000 miles together, mostly on a non-motorized bicycle. 
So without further ado, I would love to bring Jasmine Reese on. And hello, Jasmine. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me on. Oh, absolutely. I am so honored because... You know, one thing about human beings that never ceases to amaze me is our uniqueness and things that we we do and come up with in order to cope and to survive uh, and thrive in this world. And so when I came across your story, you know, there are millions of Americans now who suffer from depression. You know, we're supposedly the richest um country in the world we're the superpower you know we have so many who are trying to come here for a better life and yet you have millions of americans who suffer from depression and so i before we dig uh, deeper into that part of your journey which is basically um, what this show is about i would like to find out what was your life prior um, to depression or prior to this whole bicycling adventure Okay, so I'll try to condense this down because there's a lot of information, but I'm sure I <laughs> I will say that I was prior to 2009, I was the most ambitious outgoing person you you could meet. Um from a very very young age up until the middle the second year of or the third year of college, I was always outgoing, reaching out for new opportunities, starting my own businesses. I had a babysitting business when I was 12. I had um, another website that I started when I was 18 called latestartermusician.com, where I conducted all of the interviews, wrote all of the blogs, created the website and did all the marketing. Um, Of course, on top of that, I was in school working three, four jobs and Um, Just a very structured person who knew what I wanted in life. I had notebooks filled with five-year, 10-year, 20-year goals. Wow. And um, so I I was very ambitious and very structured. And I was not that student who went to college not knowing what they wanted to do. I knew exactly how my life was going to turn out. Well, where did you, where do you think you got that, um, that level of ambition and motivation from? Because you, you're from a single parent home, right? Your mother. Yes. Yes. My mom is the ultimate example of a hard worker. Mm -hmm. She's a hard worker in a different way. She's not as structured as I am, but she is, she was the person working three, four jobs, trying to take care of her children, but also juggling all of these other things in her life. So I definitely got my hardworking, enduring spirit from my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were also living in a hotel most of your childhood or just part well, of not, it? Well, not much of it. It was just my senior year of high school. Okay. I was 14 from age I would say 15 was the year that I was living in a motel and I was, I actually graduated from high school. So I did all my studying and trying to get, you know, out of high school in a motel. Um, So I remember my books sprawled out on the twin, the second twin or the second uh, bed inside the motel room Mm -hmm. while my my brother was doing his homework on the other bed with, with my mom getting her day to or getting ready for her day the next day. So we're all in this hotel room, still carrying on and with our lives, trying to be the best people we can be despite the financial situation. Wow. You know, I just think that is so amazing because, you know, we hear a lot of people, um, 
today who kind of give excuses as to why, you know, they can't achieve or why they can't um, do certain things. And, and um, so I guess another question that I want to ask is what caused you to have that clear picture? Cause I understand working hard. I can understand being highly motivated and, and having your mother as that example. But then to me, it takes a whole nother level of, um, I don't I don't have a word for it, but just, to me, it takes something even more to be able to even know what you want out of life, especially if you are um, in a situation where finances are not always readily available. Um, I don't know what your neighborhood was like, but, you know, you did mention living yeah. in a motel. So in other words, circumstantially, you really had no reason to even <laughs> know, you know, to even um have that clear picture as to what you wanted if that makes sense uh yeah so I would say that it's because of my mom so when I was really young I think she had me reading and writing by the time I was age two my mom had me on an academic path Ah. she wanted me to excel in my studies and so she wanted me to be the first woman in our family to go to college uh, because up until that point no one else female wise had been to university. So, um, so she definitely wanted me to graduate high school and go to school at the very least. She also kind of tried to put it in my head that I wanted, I want to be a doctor as well, But, but that kind of changed as I, she's she's the one who did this she started me on reading and writing and so that kind of took the forefront I won some writing competitions when I was younger and and I started writing my own little book of poetry when I was around nine or ten so writing kind of took the forefront but when I started violin at 14 that erased everything and in yeah so in order to satisfy you know my mom is the type of person that she just wants to see her children happy so it wasn't really her once, but because I had it in my mind that I wanted to make my mom proud and be that first woman to go to college and to also become a doctor and things like that. I kind of set that high bar for myself to, to reach those goals for her, Mm. even though completely fine. If I said, Oh, I want to go to music school. I want to do this or do my own thing. Um, But I set that bar for myself. So from a very early age, I was determined to be that first woman in college, to be the person that my mom wanted me to be, uh-huh. even though she wasn't, you know, she wasn't that kind of strict, crazy person who was telling me I had to do it, but I put that in my own mind. So, so she so planted the seed, she planted good yeah, seeds she, and then you took yeah. it and watered it and ran with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned that you started the violin at age 14, which as you and I know, um, myself being a violinist as well, that that's pretty late, you know, especially yeah. in classical music. Now, if you want to go into bluegrass or fiddling or hip hop or something, <laughs> then, you know, you can start at 20, but, uh, <laughs> for classical music, um, 14 is late. So what was it about the violin that um, attracted you to it? And well, the violin. So like I said, my mom kind of had me on an academic path. And even though we had 
musicians in our family, they were all singers. Mm -hmm. And my mom never had any formal training. My grandmother and my great aunt had formal training. My grandmother spent a year at Juilliard and she studied jazz singing. And my great aunt was an operatic singer um, back in the 60s who died prematurely. She she was actually murdered by her husband, but I don't know much about um, but yeah, so we have musicians in our family, but um, I don't think it ever crossed my mind, my mom's mind to to start her children on instruments. Mm-hmm. So I kind of found out I didn't really even know about instruments until later in, you know, in my childhood when I was around eight Um, my mom would turn through the station. She always exposed us to a a wide variety of music, but you know, her, her music of choice was R and B or we would listen to radio Disney. So we would listen to the the boy bands and things like Uh that. But (laughs) but every every once in a while we'd, we'd uh, stop on a classical station and, and I would just be drawn to whatever that sound was. And of course later it was, I learned it was violin and um, the string section, I was like, oh, I love it. But it wasn't just the string section. I loved to hear those really, really, really high notes, you know, that high E right uh-huh. up there on that E. Right. <laughs> you know, fourth finger, so, fourth so, position. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. I love to hear those really, really high sounds, and people call them noises or screechy sounds, but to me, they're just beautiful. So um, I, don't think I had a name for the violin until I went to junior high and they had a music program there, but they only started the students on woodwind instruments. Mm-hmm. So I was clarinet at the time, but I, I knew I wanted to play whatever that instrument was that I had heard. And actually my second exposure to the violin or what really cemented that I wanted to play that instrument was when I heard a Bjork song Hunter and it has that amazing, oh, that amazing string composition that she she put in there is just amazing so i'm gonna have to check check that out yeah i think when people hear bjork her singing style is something that you either hate or you love Uh but the music or what she composes is just gorgeous and that string section is what captured me and i said oh you know what i want to play whatever that instrument is so finally i had a babysitting business when i was 13 and um, my mom was running errands one day and i was with her and i saw in the the window of for a music store there was a sign for 110 dollars a violin for sale and i had just been paid from all my little babysitting gigs and i said mom stop the car <laughs> and so at 13 I bought the violin but it wasn't until a year later that I finally said okay I can't afford lessons so I'm going to call around and see if there'll be a teacher that'll let me work in exchange for lessons and I finally found a teacher who let me babysit her children in exchange for violin lessons (laughs) so it's obvious that you again were the type of person the the type of child who um, was was given these wonderful seeds to water and grow and and use towards um, bettering your life, and then you said you you found yourself um, changing. You know, yeah. you and I had a previous conversation before this um, session, and you said you found yourself, you know, just just changing and and becoming somebody who you really didn't like. Um, so let's talk about that. That when, what year um, did you start to notice um, this change and what was going on? 
so it would be right around 2009 is when I started to experience these, I guess, just a withdrawal. It's a, you know, a, a lack of will to do. And um, so I started to lose this will to work as hard as I, as I used to. And for me, I thought maybe it was burnout. And I had good reason to think it was burnout because since a very young age, I was always working to help out around the house or I was academically involved. I will give you an example. At age four, from age 14 to 15, I was in two youth orchestras. I was in high school. I was in a community college. I was interning for the Signal newspaper. Oh my. I was li- living in a motel and I managed to graduate from high school at 15 while living in this motel. So wow. that kind of went on for many years where I was always busy. When I got to the first college that I was in, I had 22 credits. I had three jobs. I was on the student newspaper. I was working for the Women's Leadership Center. I was a part of the orchestra. And then eventually I was the concert master of that of that first orchestra. Oh my gosh. Wow. I was super, super, super busy and super involved. So it became very apparent in 2009 that something had snapped or changed within me when I decided to take the semester off from school Mm -hmm. after I had transferred to a new school in 2008. And that first semester, I got a B in one of my classes, which was completely unlike me I I was on a roll straight A student so when I got that first B that was the first sign that okay something's happening then in 2009 spring semester I decided that I did not want to go back to school my mom we were on the freeway and she was driving me back to Missouri from New York is that's where I transferred to Missouri Mm -hmm. and um, she uh she was driving me back and I said mom I don't want to go back and she said, so what, you you just want to stay here? And I was like, yeah, I, I think I'm going to take the semester off. So we drove back to New York. I worked for that semester. But something definitely, I it changed because that semester, I, all, all I did was work. I didn't, I didn't reach out to do anything. I didn't take violin lessons. So I, that was the first time in a long time that I had really taken a substantial break from violin playing. Um, and, and on top of that, spirituality wise, I no longer felt the need to really, I, I wasn't feeling church at all. I wasn't feeling going to, to church. So mm-hmm. things, everything that I used to be highly active in took a extreme back burner at that point and um, kind of came to a, a halt. Well, what are some other changes you noticed? Was there any uh, eating habit changes or... Um... Yeah. Um, So it it kind of took place over the course of four years from 2009 to 2012. I slowly started to decline. So I did go back to school and I had my own apartment, um, a small apartment. And I noticed that I started to crave sweets more Mm -hmm. and I was um, just really abnormally too much. And, you know, like, like I said, again, these are things where I think in our society, we're conditioned to think, oh, you're just lazy or you're just, you lack self-control. Uh-huh. Or, or I, I never coupled this, this, these symptoms with the depression. I just thought, oh, I'm for some reason changing into a person who only likes to eat sweets and doesn't have any self-control with it, mm-hmm. or I'm just being lazy, you know? Um, so I used to be very ambitious in school. For me, 
at some point it was just go to class and just get through class. I couldn't focus on class. I, I wasn't taking in the information like I used to. I started to get Fs. I went from Oh my goodness. I went from a 3.9 GPA to a 1.9. And um, you know, so I I couldn't I couldn't take in the information. I really just could not understand what the, the teachers were saying. And I didn't have the the um Oh, what am I trying to say? The ambition to study, uh-huh. you know, I used to pull all nighters at some point. I didn't even want to do that. I was like, my day was done by four o'clock and I was already in bed, you know, <laughs> unless I had to work or something. But um, if I didn't have anything to do, studying wasn't going to happen. I was going to go to my room and lock myself in my room and just kind of binge on some ice cream and then, and then fall asleep. So these were some extreme symptoms yeah. for me because it- difference from who I used to be exactly yeah because you (laughs) just to go from like you said go 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 highly ambitious and motivated and and self-directed to just Mm -hmm. not wanting to do anything I mean that 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 is a drastic change and so is is this what led to your bicycling trek or how, how how did you um figure out that bicycling was the way to figure all of this out this change so at the worst point of of this change I was in my room maybe 20 to 22 hours a day and I had gained over 100 pounds and I was at that point no longer going to classes I was completely skipping classes and just I think there was one semester where I had registered for classes I didn't even bother dropping out I just I just uh, let the classes go on and so received Fs in all of those classes. Oh my and, goodness. And I think it was the semester of, uh, I think fall 2012, that's when I received academic dismissal for a year. Or I think it was, it was um, a probation, like you had a year to, you were placed on probation for a year and you couldn't attend classes. So I received that letter. And then, of course, I just further fell into a black hole, as you put it in the beginning. You know, I was just like, okay, well, now I'm not going to school. So I'm just going to stay in my room. And um, (laughs) so I started to try to do things back on track. But, um, you know, it really didn't work until I got this cute little dog which it wasn't for it wasn't for me she Fiji was not for me she was for my mom my mom went away on a business trip and we had just lost our family Rottweiler and um and I was so so sad about that but I I knew I didn't want a dog anymore because of just the pain of losing mm-hmm. them you get so attached to them yeah because they they become part of your family yeah, they yeah. are family they're part of your family you you're responsible for their life you're responsible for making sure that they're fulfilled and and that they're getting what they need so they are family and and so I didn't I didn't want anymore and um but my mom she she wanted another dog so I started looking for rescues one I could rescue and I saw Fiji's (laughs) Fiji's little face pop up and for a foster family that said they were getting ready to move and they were going to have to and I'm assuming this was a website you went on looking for a dog to adopt Oh, Craigslist. Okay. Yeah, they have a pet section and they have rescues and dogs you can buy. But this one, Fiji was a rescue from the Fulton uh, County Animal Shelter. So um, I had them bring her over and I met her and 
I tried to push her away. I was like, you're not my dog. You're going to be my mom's dog. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't want anything to do with you. And, but that wasn't, that didn't last long. I think it was like an hour in where I had to take her outside and she had to go pee and she kept going pee because she was just a puppy. So she would come and lie down on the bed with me and I tried to get her to lie separately, but nope. So that first night she spent with me and lied down and the next day it was, it was official. She was bonded to me. There was no, she was interested in. And um, when my mom came home and I surprised her with her, Fiji didn't even look at my mom. She came running to me. <laughs> oh, my God. So she was yours from the beginning. Yeah, Fiji, Fiji chose me. I don't know why, because I thought I was this rather dull person. But <laughs> Wow. <laughs> trying to push her away. But she said, nope, you're, you're the one I want. So I Aww. ended up didn't have plans to have a dog but for me and my family once you get a dog you keep the dog for life so exactly yeah I I grew up with uh believe it or not over 23 dogs in my childhood and so we were known as the dog family (laughs) you know we would take in strays and then you know of course dogs have puppies and and all of that so yeah I I can definitely share your love of of dogs Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Miss Fiji became mine. And, and, and in, in a way, she rescued me because that was during the darkest time of what I still didn't know was depression. You know, my only examples of depression in my life were my mom. You know, I was no stranger to depression, but my mom had, a, a, you know, a nervous breakdown when I was a young child and um, she had other issues from depression. So I knew what depression was, but I also knew it was justified. I thought there had to be a reason. Like my mom Mm -hmm. had a a terrible, you know, childhood experience and she had trauma and PTSD from those things that happened to her. So I, I, my exposure to depression was that you had to have had something bad happen to you or your life had to have been a struggle, you know? Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the case for me. So I didn't put two and two together that I was suffering from depression because I didn't have any of those experiences, you know? And so, I think um, that's very, and I think that's a, such a wonderful point that you just made because we do tend to think um, that quite a few of these mental illnesses, because that's what it is. Depression is a mental illness and there's such stigma and, and there's a face and there's, you know, like you said, just um, this picture of of what we think um, depression should look like, how it should manifest itself, um, how it should be played out in our society. And a lot of times it does not look the way we think it should look or even act, you know, play out in the way we think um, it, it would. But it, again, it doesn't mean that it's any less um, something to to be serious about. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you so now you and this adorable dog have, you know, Mm -hmm. traveled over 16,000 miles. So again, what led to the bicycle? You have Fiji now, you you know, she came at a dark time in your life. And so when did the bicycle come into play? So Fiji and I are getting out more. I'm taking her to training because she has some issues. I don't know if she was abused or anything, but she's dog aggressive. And she's, um, and she's running and hiding under things. Just if something falls, she's hiding, you know? So Mm -hmm. I'm taking her out, training her. And, you know, I I think I watched Caesar Milan, you know, the dog. Yes. uh Uh-huh. 
exercise is is what your your dog needs you know for for a lot of these behaviors sometimes it's just a manifestation of being bored and um so i i started walking her but i also saw a bicycle in and it popped in my head that maybe the bicycle would not just be a vehicle for exercise but it'd also be transportation for me to get back to school so i started trying to ride my bike to school in order to get back into to classes and things like that and that didn't pan out but the thing that did stick was i loved the bicycle ride just it took me outside of the house it connected me with nature i got to see people and see things happening you know and and so the vial, the the bicycle became a vehicle of connection to the outside world again. And so that was the first time that I actually left my room and enjoyed it. You know, mm. uh, it wasn't just leaving because I had to do something like I had to go to work or I had to go to the grocery store and I didn't, you know, I just kind of blindly went out and did those things. But when I got on the bike, I actually noticed the things happening around me and I actually enjoyed it. I noticed my breathing. I noticed the way my legs were working to push the bike. I noticed the hills. I noticed everything around me. And I fell absolutely in love with that sensation of, of actually feeling again, you know? And mm. um, at, at one point I, I asked myself, I wonder just how far you can go on a bike, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I was on Facebook one night and there was a, an ad for Adventure Cycling, which is an organization that creates maps for long distance cycling trips. And um, I went on their site and they had these blogs and, and forums um, and you could see all these people had taken these cross country bicycle trips. And from that moment I was sold. I knew at that point that I was going to bicycle across the country. And I think the reason I made that decision is because I wanted to feel that connection at a deeper level, but I also wanted to show myself that I was still that ambitious girl who could, yes. accomplish, you know, like if I, if I can bicycle across the country with no experience, with very little money, then I can do anything. And at that mm -hmm. time I was prepared to, to lose it all. Like I didn't know how I was going to get food. I didn't know where I was going to sleep. I didn't know how I was going to make money or travel without money. I just knew that if it even came down to me dumpster diving mm -hmm. for food, I was going to bicycle across the country. There, there was no one that could stop me. And for me, it was a matter of survival. At that point, I, don't, I wasn't having suicidal thoughts, but I felt very close to the asking that pivotal question, what's the point? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what you felt yourself getting to that point. Yeah, like, you know, that question of what's the point of all this and why am I even trying to do this anymore? Why am I even trying to just live when I'm just in a room all day? So I think I was getting to that point. So I, I knew at that point, for me at least, the bicycle was this vehicle to, to, to take me away from that, that question that was impending. Right. Okay. So you come across this adventure, would you say call it adventure cycling? Is that what you said? Yeah, okay. Cycling. So you come across adventure cycling and I'm sure you're still under your mom's care, right? Yes. And so you <laughs> tell her, Hey mom, I'm going to 
go cross country on this bike with me, Fiji, and my violin? I mean, what does she, what does she say? I think at first she was like, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> uh, she didn't take you seriously. She didn't take you really seriously, but then it started to become more real when I started sending sponsorship letters for gear, and these companies started sending free free gear for us to bicycle across this country. So uh, Fiji got her little trailer that I pulled behind me. She got that for free. Um, they also sent her a Springer America, which is this bike leash attachment that you attach to your bike so you can harness your dog up to them. And they can run alongside the bicycle safely. Uh-huh. And then she got some other things like paw wax for to protect her paws. And then what even nailed nailed this further that it was serious was when um the local bicycle shop sponsored our bike and they took a substantial amount of payment off and said that i can i can take the bike and and pay as i go so when my mom saw that i was actually getting the bike she was like okay are you really going to do this (laughs) (laughs) wow I think she became, she started to try to convince me not to go when the Boston Marathon bombings happened. When that happened, you know, she became very scared, you know, mm-hmm. she said, why are you leaving in this, this climate? You know, there's, there's terrorism and there, and besides that, you could be raped, you could be kidnapped, at least go with people, go with the group. But at that point, for me, cycling was a solo experience and i didn't want to be around people i i couldn't go from isolation to uh traveling with a troop of people right right (laughs) you know so i I wanted to do this alone this had to be my own personal i guess spirit journey you Uh, know yeah it sounds very much like a a calling Um, yeah and, and what i loved about what you're saying so far is that um you didn't put a lot of thought into the how you know, into the details. And I think a lot of us, you know, as people, when we, when we sense that calling, you know, whatever it may be, I think the immediate um, temptation or or tendency is to, well, how is this going to work? And how am I going to get the money? And who's going to support me? And, you know, how is, you know, the how, 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 when, where, all these different questions. And with you, it just sounds like you just went with it, you know? It was very spontaneous. I think the first day, the first day that I was actually out on the road was the first day I'd ha- I had actually put the bags, the paneers on my bike. It was the first day I had attached the bike, the trailer. So the first day that I actually left from New York was the first day that I felt the full weight capacity of everything on the bike. And it was heavy. I mm. could not tried to take those first couple of pedals and my legs strained and creaked and cracked it was if if, if you don't mind sharing um because you mentioned having gained weight you -hmm. know so again I guess dipping into the whole how we have a tendency to do the how um you're not at the weight to even be doing this type of thing yeah, so I I didn't let that stop me. I had done a little bit of research, um, so I I knew one that I needed a bike. It couldn't be a Walmart bicycle because that might break under the pressure. Uh-huh. So I I knew I was going to need a bicycle that could handle not just the weight of all the things I was carrying, but also my weight. And how much um, were you weighing when you first started? If you don't mind sharing, I weighed maybe it was over two hundred and fifty pounds. Okay, okay. So, and, and I, you know, well, we'll, we'll get to that, but yeah, so it was over 250 pounds. And then, um, 
And then I had an additional 150 pounds in gear that I was. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Including Fiji. So, um, yeah, so that that's that's crazy how much weight I was pulling besides just myself. Now, for for me, I saw that there were other people who who were larger, not not quite my size. There was one person at that time that I saw who was six hundred pounds, but I don't think what? they quite Yeah, they they didn't quite <laughs> country though it was um it was back in 2013 it was another cyclist and they they had attempted to do it and they were they were big but um they they I don't think they quite made it but they were still very active in cycling and I think they actually I can't remember the name of the person I don't want to mention right the name right. just in case but um at that time from the blogs I was reading that that person was keeping um they did lose a, a lot of weight so mm-hmm. um kind of encouraging to me like okay well if this guy can do it and he's you know at least 300 pounds bigger than me then then maybe I can do it too maybe you You think you maybe can do it I mean my goodness and and also to I was kind of on an accomplishment high as well I I made it up one little hill in my town and all of a sudden I thought I was capable of crossing the country so okay so that's all it took okay me I was like oh if I can make it up Chapel Hill in in Columbia Missouri then I can (laughs) then I can make it up any hill in this country so you know I I just think that's so amazing you know and and as you mentioned uh naturally your mother would have concerns you know for your physical well-being in particular being the single you know black woman um on the road and and um it's something you said on your fan page that that's prompting this next question, you know, with, with all the negativity um, that we're being bombarded with in the media, um, including social media, you know, we have now been hailed as being in the era of Trump's America, you know, Um, what have you found to be true for you when you've encountered various human beings while on this journey? Well, I think that the media can very much so distort how people are and how people conduct themselves on a daily basis. And while there are ba- while there is definitely bad and evil in the world, I think there's a lot more good. And if we take the time to notice the good, then we will receive the good. And that is really what I've experienced on my trips. I mean, I've had maybe two or three bad experiences, nothing dangerous that I would have died in, but two or three bad experiences with people. But out of all of that, I've had hundreds, hundreds of amazing strangers from all political, religious, and racial and national, you know, backgrounds who have taken Fiji and I in despite our differences and sheltered us and fed us and sent us on our way, gave us, gave us encouraging words and things of that nature. And so, so I think um, we, we have to be very careful not to let um, the media, which, you know, it's, it's built to give us the bad news, you know, so it's supposed to give us the bad news. It's supposed to tell us what's tell us what's wrong with our world. So if you just invest in that type of um, consumption, if you just consume that bad news, then that's, that's your only picture of the world. That's all, you know, you just think that the world is bad. Absolutely. 
have to get out there into the world to see that, oh, well, in fact, there are good things. There is, there is some positive. There is some hope. There is a lot of hope in, in our world, you know. Oh, uh, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, sometimes I read uh, all these things about climate change. And yes, there's uh, I believe that wholeheartedly that our Earth is in peril. But I'm still awe in awe by just how much beautiful landscapes that are untouched by humans for the most part yes in our in our in our country alone and in canada you know and, and of course other parts of the world so there i think what has instilled in me is one i i realized that our worth our human humanity is worth saving there's still a lot of good people and there's still people who are are doing good in the world and need to be here and then our earth is worth saving you know i've mm. i've become so much more connected to our planet and whenever i look at a mountain or i go through the mojave or i go through bc you know british columbia or wherever where these amazing mountains are just standing so tall i think to myself oh my gosh we can't we can't let this go away you know we have wow. to protect absolutely so, even though I, I have this hope and faith in humanity, I've also tempered that with with this possession. Like I, I want to preserve this. I want to preserve our goodness as humans and I want to preserve our earth and, and um and so so yeah, so there's it's it's a it's been a wonderful journey for for realizing that what we are presented with in the media is not what is out there completely I think that's so it sounds like it's a whole lot of us that need to do a whole lot more living and getting (laughs) like you said getting out there and experiencing um different types of people um so what's been your most memorable experience so far that just jumps at the front of your mind to the front of your memory um I don't have, you know, I've had so many experiences that there's not one that I can pinpoint. Okay. I think, I think, um, I think for the 2013 trip, I will say that overall, that whole trip, I was, or not so much that whole trip, it only lasted one week where I was trying to get to California. So when I started that, I had this destination in mind. I was going to get to California and magically there was going to be this old Jasmine from when I was 14 and 15. She would be waiting for me in San Diego and she'd embrace me and I'd magically be this old Jasmine again, you know, mm-hmm. and that I, but then as I was a week into my trip, all these amazing things kept happening. You know, people stopping me, inviting me into their home. I volunteered at a food pantry my first first night out on the road in exchange for a place to stay. Wow. And, and then, you know, people putting me, there was one person who put me up in a motel because they didn't want me to camp for the night. And then, you know, there was another person where I, I got to go to their church service and play violin in their church. And I mean, just so many things happen that at some point I just forgot where I was going and it wasn't so much about getting to this Jasmine again it was about learning about who I had become Mm. and learning to love that Jasmine and appreciate that Jasmine because this has been like a reinvention of yourself in a sense yeah and it's and not so much even that it's it's just I'm I'm still the same person with depression but 
now I know how to cope with it better. And I've learned to appreciate who I am. And I've learned how to cope with those episodes a lot better. Mm. So I, I love my body now and I want to take better care of it. I, I love what my body has been able to accomplish. And I thank my body every day for, for allowing me, despite being, you know, a, a larger woman for allowing me to pedal up mountains, you know, that it's just, it's amazing to me that my body has allowed me to do that. And so I love my body for that. And I love my mind. The fact that my mind is strong enough to endure and to keep pedaling through pain and to, to make it 50, 70 miles on a bicycle to the next location and where I can empower myself mentally and say, you can do this, Jasmine, you can do this. Testimony to the fact that my mind is still working the way it needs to work. I just have to give it a little fuel to help it along the way, you know. Well, you know, I, I pulled a quote from your uh, website. Uh, is it Fia Paw? Is that it? It's Fija Paw. So it's uh, Fiji and Jasmine pedal around the world. Gotcha. It's a- Fija Paw. Okay. And so www.fijapaw.com. I pulled a quote from there um, where you say you have to live your life completely opposite of how depression would have you be. And and I remember struggling with that alone, because again, I'm thinking this is just who I am. I had taken on this depression as, as my own identity and to live outside of that was extremely difficult but you're saying this is what you have to do as at least one of the steps to overcoming depression. Exactly. Yeah, you have to. I think the the biggest thing I've learned now that I, I have a name for it and I can say that I was suffering from major depression, um, the, the thing that I tell people is that depression strips you of two things. It sh- strips you of your worth the feeling that you're worth something more and it strips you of your will, your will to survive. And your will is so important. You need that will to survive, to do anything, all the things that you love, whether it be playing violin or going to work or whatever the case may be, you need that willpower to do something. And depression takes that away from you in a chemical way in your brain. So you need to fight against that and, that means doing, even if you don't feel like it, you have to do it. And, um, and it's of course, easier said than done. But when you do do those things, what happens is is your chemical reactions in your brain become balanced again. If you're exercising, the endorphins are being released. And then you realize that all that resistance you had to doing the activity in the first place was for nothing because now you feel great when you're doing it Absolutely. <laughs> you know Absolutely oh my so, goodness and so that's one of the questions I was going to I'm sorry go ahead No I was just saying you have to get past that that resistance and then once you're doing the activity then you're then you're good again <laughs> Absolutely wow um so what type of financial support you 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 started this whole thing with less than $50 in your, in your pocket, no way to really know how you will sustain yourself uh, financially, um, food-wise. I mean, your dog has to be fed and cared for. So what type of financial support have you received since you started? You mentioned sponsors, you know, giving free gear and that type of thing, but what else? Yeah, so, uh, well, the first trip, I knew that 
okay, I'm going to put myself through struggle, but there's no way I'm going to put my dog through that because she didn't choose this life. Right. So I had to make sure she was set. So I did get a, a food sponsor for her. And this was uh, just an angel sponsor, someone who, who would send her food whenever I was running low, if I couldn't get her any food myself also we had pet stores sponsor us along the way so they would if um if I was running low on food they would provide us with a new bag in a different location so Fiji was set on food and gear because if anything she wasn't going to be struggling I was going to be the one struggling Uh so 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 that that was that for her now for myself (laughs) <laughs> there were days I think there I think the longest I went without food one time was four days <laughs> really because I was on this secluded uh trail and I didn't realize that I needed to carry food I didn't realize that I wasn't going to be coming into any towns or things like that and I also didn't have enough money to buy food when I did come across these little stores that they would have on the trail so I went on this trail completely unprepared. I didn't have bug repellent. I didn't have anything necessary for surviving on this trail. Oh, <laughs> wow. So, um, so yeah, so I, uh, I was on this trail for three days and I didn't eat anything and except for drink water from these these little pumps on the trail, which were full of iodine. <laughs> and the water was so disgusting. She wouldn't even drink that water. She would just go drink directly from the from the river. But I had to like gulp down this really disgusting water. Oh my goodness! Okay, so I guess that because I was going to ask you what's your most shocking story. So I guess that could fall into that because I'm like, wow. It's funny. That's also where I learned how to deal with being a woman and dealing with menstruation. I I I started to. That was the first time I had my menstruation while I was on the road. And um, I didn't have anything for that either. Wow. <laughs> I had over, maybe over 50 mosquito bites on me. It was just, I was terribly disgusting. Also on that same trail, there was a mudslide and I ended up walking through three feet of mud, pulling my bicycle and Fiji. And so I had, I was muddy. I was bloody. I was <laughs> just a mess. <laughs> <laughs> terrible and but it was also the most fun experience for me because I was like I can't believe I made it through that like I have a hardship story okay so was there was there was this the moment when a part of you was like okay Jasmine what are you doing like why don't you just stop was there ever a time during this trek that you just said I just need to go back home nope 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 I was amazing no, I was so determined. Everything was positive for me. Like if if something bad happened, it was positive. I was like, okay, this this happened, but I made it through, so this is great. <laughs> wow! And see that that in and of itself is it can be very difficult um, for yeah. someone who struggles with depression. So this is this is just such an amazing story. And I'm gonna wrap it up with just a few more questions. Um, one being, what have you learned? most about yourself okay so i i've learned that i'm very resourceful i learned that i'm very patient and i love that i or i should say i learned to love myself so um when you going back to your other question about making money i started to realize that it's not sustainable to 
rely on other people. I never expected from other people. I, I knew that they would come through, but I didn't expect that from people. But I knew that also wasn't sustainable to, to have people come through for me and to live in that kind of insecure way, not knowing if there would be a place to stay or if I'd have to camp or whatever the case may be. So at some point I changed and I said, you know what, I need to be resourceful and I need to be asking for job opportunities. So I started working odd jobs. I started busking with my violin, especially on the 2016 Canada trek. When I crossed Canada, I was busking for money, playing at farmer's markets. I did a little fiddle competition and won $50. Oh, wow. some freelance work, a lot of freelance writing. So I started putting my journalism and writing skills from school back into to play and getting freelance gigs in that way and um, working remotely and, and things of that nature. So, so I learned to be very, very resourceful and to be very independent. And, um, and I just, I learned to love those qualities within myself. And uh, to this day, I would say the thing that I've learned the most about myself is that I, I can do anything I set my mind to mm. and depression pervert that thinking. I can't let prevent per, depression take that away from me and make me feel like I'm not capable. I, I am capable and, and I'm going to continue to be capable for as long as, as it's physically possible. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm so I'm so encouraged right now, Jasmine. I really am. And I just, have you ever thought of writing a book about all of this, please? (laughs) You know, I'm not in that mindset at this time, maybe in the future, but I'm not really there right now. I'm just kind of enjoying experiencing the day to day, you know, Mm -hmm. right now. uh, That's, I guess that's another thing I've learned too is you can't focus on the destination. You have to enjoy every single moment. You have to notice in order to maintain your connection to the world and the people around you, you have to appreciate and be grateful for every moment that's given to you. And depression will distort that. So if you're not appreciative and grateful for every moment, then depression will send you into a black hole where you don't appreciate and you're not grateful for anything. Absolutely. So I have to work very hard at every moment to say, gosh, I'm so grateful for this breath that I'm able to take in. And I'm so grateful for the fact that I've been able to do all of these things. And I'm so grateful for the, this person I just met and what they've done for me and, and what I can do for them and what I can do for others, you know? So, um, so I am very, very now oriented. Okay. This is what I'm doing today. And this is what I appreciate about today. And maybe in the future, there'll be some books and things like that. But right now, that's not what I'm thinking about. And and how old are you now, Jasmine? I'm 30 now. I just turned 30. Oh, you're still a baby. Okay. Compared to me anyway. Okay. Two two more questions because I I still have tons of questions, but I'm just wrapping up to the last two. What are some humanitarian efforts um, just on your part as a result of this amazing, amazing journey? How do you give back? Okay, yeah. So because of all the kindness that I've received on the road, I definitely want to pay back that kindness in other forms. So I've 
had a couple of mi missions. One was for um, the Missouri Lions Eye Research Foundation, where I was uh, raising money for eye donations for people who were suffering from diabetes and other um, eye induced or d disease induced eye dis or eye uh, blindness disease. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, then I also was uh, raising money for rescues and things like that. But then I, I wanted to take it a step further and mix music with it. So now things have taken um, a, a, a very nice turn in the fact that my violin aspirations were were interrupted by depression and I took a long time off. And in 2016, I restarted fully again with taking lessons and um you know playing for people and things like that so i've i've volunteered at refugee centers and and i've been promoting this idea that community pro music programs are so necessary we need an inclusive place where people can take part in music because when music is a part of the fabric of of any town or or society in general, then you have people who have an outlet. They have something that they can do and it makes happier people and therefore happier communities. So I've been promoting um, community music programs, especially in smaller towns, which is where you see it lacking. So um, having these community music programs in the fabric of homeless programs. Uh-huh, and children, uh-huh, young people children who are suffering from homelessness or or underserved populations and refugees and things like that so wow. i'm hoping to be able to start my own community music program here shortly where i'm catering to people not just here but abroad um i at the end of the year i'm going i'm starting my trek down to argentina but before <gasps> that i'm going volunteering for a with a school in Belize so I'm really excited oh my gosh wow and so you're uh, you're currently where now I'm in Texas right now my grandparents they're uh they have dementia and Alzheimer's so I'm helping my mom with taking care of them wow. um but yeah so right now I'm in Texas and I'm kind of back and forth between my cycling adventures and and um helping my mom with you know my grandparents so. wow just wonderful okay um how can people find out more information like how can people support you give donations um keep up with your journey um learn more about your story yeah so if you go to feed your feedjapal.com um you can become a patron and right now i'm raising funds for several things one i have my own community music program that i am wanting to start so i'm saving up for that so if you want to donate and be a part of creating a community community music program um then then please donate for that but also i'm starting a scholarship fund for community music programs that i come across so i've come across some amazing community music programs that are inclusive of all ages and they give all people musical opportunities quality opportunities you know sometimes you can only find a community orchestra that caters to adults but then there's sometimes there's these community music programs that provide adults with solo opportunities and chamber mm, music opportunities. nice and yes those are the type of community music programs that i want to inspire because just because you get older doesn't mean you don't want to play a solo or take part in a competition or play chamber music anymore. right <laughs> you know the, the fun doesn't stop at childhood you absolutely know, you, 
So, um, so I like these programs that are inclusive and providing these opportunities for people despite age, race, gender, and all that jazz. So mm-hmm. um, I wanted to start this scholarship fund where when I come across these programs, I have the funds to say, okay, you're going to get $1,000 to help further that. So, um, so I'm starting a Fiji Paul community music scholarship fund. And yeah. all of this information, including donation buttons and whatnot is found on FijaPaul.com. Yes. And then just click on become a patron and you'll see more information there. Okay. And again, that's spelled F I J A P A W.com. And I promise you, this is my last, last uh, question. When you become an ancestor, you know, because I'm I'm learning more and more that, you know, it, it's so easy for us to take life here on earth for granted and especially our particular time here on granted. And it really feels like we're going to live forever. Um, but one day we're going to be an ancestor. Right. And so when you become an ancestor, what do you want to be known most for? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I think I, I want to be known for inspiring people to to live their lives outside of the box, to live their lives the way that they want to, that doesn't harm others, but not just doesn't harm others or themselves, but also in a way that is a benefit to the earth and the people around them. So, um, I mean, I, I think that's very general and cliche, and I think we all want that from people, yes. but I do want to be a part a part of that group that is living that type of life and and inspiring other people to to just follow your dreams you shouldn't be sitting up on regret a mountain of regret you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it's just a way to live so if there's something you want to do and it's beneficial to others and it's beneficial to yourself there's no reason that you have to follow this set societal standard of 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 a direction in life you can't and you want to do and, and I think you're such a beautiful example of that. I mean, you have definitely knocked out so many uh, stereotypes and, and just barriers as to what um, um, pleasantly plump people can do, <laughs> uh, what a black, what a single black woman is capable of doing, what a violinist is capable of doing, a dog lover, a bicyclist. I mean, I, I what a person living with depression because you you'll I'm sure you'll say you're not cured um but as you mentioned um either it was on your website or on your your Facebook fan page where you said now you're happy with with very little episodes of sadness or something to that degree yeah I said um my my life prior was sad with moments of happiness but now my life is happy with moments of sadness (laughs) wow well I commend you and just one last quote that I just love that you mentioned uh don't just travel down the road own it don't just travel down the road own it and we'll end there and I just want to thank you so much uh Jasmine for honoring me with just your story, your presence. Uh, you're such a sweet person. I, I noticed that over the phone the very first time you and I talked. And I just wish you the best. I understand living in the moment, but I really do hope um, that my children or future generations can actually sit down and read your story in the book. So I'm just going to keep <laughs> dropping that in your ear. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, this is what I love to do. This is what I love 
talking about is just how we really do have more in common um, than we are different. And I would, and I, and I aim, excuse me, I aim to have more episodes um, that will reflect that. So again, thank you so much, Jasmine. Thank you to everyone listening and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Today's I Finally Did It story comes all the way from Niger Delta region of Nigeria. So this is my very first international I Finally Did It story. Bari Daman Umba says, I am the second child of six. I lost my dad at the age of 16, which left my jobless mom to care for six children. Everything went south. Despite these unfortunate circumstances, I still graduated from high school by passing the West African Examination Council, which is the final exam required for graduation. Things still didn't get any easier. I failed the joint and matriculation exam six times, which is the exam required to get into any Nigerian public university. I've always wanted to study engineering or architecture, which is why I took the JAB exam to begin with. When I first lost admission, or when I lost admission in 2009, my mom gave me money to buy a laptop to further my architectural studies as I was drawing already. However, my brother, who was a church musician, advised I learn the cello, and that's how my musical journey began. I had never seen a cello before, let alone touch one. I had basic knowledge of piano, but that's about it. So I used that knowledge to start teaching myself the cello. After meeting a more professional cellist, I had to unlearn a lot. Those beginning days were very frustrating and I did give up. However, after watching High School Musical, that became a U-turn for me. Another turning point was when I performed in my first gig at a funeral. I was paid 5,000 Naira. I remember thinking, wow, all of this money for five minutes on stage? I began to practice six hours a day. I went to the university in 2011 to study geophysics, but was, but was withdrawn for academy failure. I took the joint and matriculation exam two more times and finally began my studies in music therapy, majoring in the cello. I am currently in my final year and will soon write my final project. Talk about tenacity, talk about perseverance. Congratulations, Mr. Umba. Thank you so much for sharing your inspiring story and again proving that whatever you set your mind to, you can accomplish. And if you have an I Finally Did It story, or if you know someone who has an I Finally Did It story, please submit your story to the following email address, which is Lady Alamu, L-A-D-Y-A-L-A-M-U at gmail.com. Thank you so very much.